Good morning. A reading from Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. You guys doing all right? Doing all right? I think Sam's going to come turn on the lights. I just had to call him out just so that uh, everyone else knew that he forgot. I'm just kidding. That's for all the times he chastises. <laughs> we like to have a little fun every once in a while. That's okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, this is starting off great this morning. It's new. It's a new season. It's fall, kind of, still. We're still like going back and between like 87 and 72, but kids are back in school, so it's officially fall. Some of you are like, yes, and others of you are just like, I'm still wounded from the week and I'm there with you because this week was a difficult week. So, uh, But it's a new season. It's an exciting season. It's a season where we get to naturally, no, Rob, we're not talking about football this morning. Apparently I'm in a silly mood, so if you guys like mouth something, it's just going to come back this morning. So it's fun. It's new. It's exciting. Things are changing. And oftentimes we just look at the calendar and we're like, okay, everything starts over in January. And if I miss January, then I'm doomed for a year. And then I have to come back to January and then start over. And then I get two weeks in and then I got to start over, got to wait a year and start over again. But every season we have an opportunity to reset. Every season we have an opportunity to evaluate what's going on in our life, to take a step back and breathe in and breathe out a little bit unless you're full of allergies and pollen and all of that. But it's an opportunity to reset. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate fall. Not that we're going to celebrate it and worship fall, but we're going to take time to, to remember that this is a reset for us. And just like it's a reset in the school year and things like that, it's a reset for us as a church. And so we're launching today uh, new small groups, and we're also launching a new sermon series. And the best way that I thought to uh, launch a new fall series for us is to talk about next steps. Every one of us, no matter where we are, no matter how long we've been Christians, no matter what our life has looked like, we all have next steps to take. 
Next steps in obedience, next steps to follow after Jesus. Every single one of us has some sort of next step. As a church, we have a a vision, and our vision is to see our community and world develop a transformational relationship with Jesus. And I love that word developing uh, that we have in our vision statement, because developing isn't passive. It isn't something that just happens naturally or organically. Development is active. And I think it ultimately uh, occurs through a fourfold sequence of events that kind of go like here and here and everywhere, and we bounce back between all of them every, every once in a while. And so as you came into our service this morning, you would have passed our table out in the front. That's our next step center. And this is something that we've had out there for a little over a year and a half. And on that table, it has four things on it. It says next step center in great bold and it's like green and it's wonderful and you see it. And then right underneath it, there are probably four words that you just read and you just pass right over. It says uh, connect, grow, serve, go. And every single one of us, no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus, we all have next steps to take in each of those areas to connect more with God and people, to grow deeper in our relationship with God, to serve in God's church and around the world, and to go and share the gospel all throughout the world. We all have next steps to take. And so throughout this fall sermon series over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about each of those areas, connecting with God and others, growing as a disciple of Jesus, serving in God's church, and going and sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And today we're going to talk about that first one, connecting with God and others. But before we do that, let's just take a moment to pray. God, we thank you for this time, this time of year that's so beautiful here in the North Country, times of seasons changing, cool weather coming in. God, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your grace. God, help us this morning to to look at our lives openly, to see where we are. We ask for your Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us, convict us, lead us into all truth. God, help us to take our next steps with you. Help us to connect with you and to connect with others. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we're talking about connecting with God and others, that sounds really great, unless you're like super, super introverted. It sounds great for us, but for most of us, we don't realize that there's a problem. Because although we want to do this, although we we see the need to connect with God and others, there's ultimately a problem that all of us have. See, in our hyper-individualistic society, we've put the sovereign self as our chief end. We've put ourselves in the driver's seat, ourselves on the throne. Whatever makes us happy, whatever we want to do, that's the sovereign self. And we've put that as our chief end, to do whatever that is supposed to to look like for each and every one of us. And that creates a little bit of difficulty in our spiritual lives. It creates difficulty for us to be able to connect with God and to connect with others. And we're like, well, maybe that isn't so bad. Like, sure, I, I'm, I'm an individual. I have things that I like. I have passions. And, and surely I can still go after those things. Yeah, you can still go after those things. You can still pursue things in your life. You can still lead the life that God has called you to leave. But at some point, we have to take the step back and realize that we can't be the ones in control. We can't be the ones in the driver's seat. And and this isn't something that is like 
astro, like this crazy revelation for us. Like this should be something that's a little self-evident for us, but I think oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes we don't realize it. And so there's this article in The Atlantic uh, by a columnist named David Brooks, and uh, it's this really long, boring thing about the nuclear family, and I don't recommend reading it just because you're just going to be snoozing after like 30 seconds. But in it, because I'm a nerd and I like to read these sorts of things, uh, he talks about this chart. And you're like, yes, exciting, riveting, just what I've been waiting for, charts. He talks about this chart that's been haunting him as he's writing this article. He's talking about how the nuclear family, this uh, you know, uh, father, mother, 2.7 children, has ultimately been bad for us as a whole. That we're not interconnected enough, we're not multi-generational enough, we're not living in community. And he talks about this chart about like three quarters of the way through, and he says, ever since I started writing this article, this chart has been haunting me. And in this chart, it's, the, it's this uh, axis with all the nations and uh, their GDP, so how rich they are and how lonely they are. And in every situation, if you have a high GDP, so you're a rich nation, loneliness and living by yourself is high. And so this makes us take a step back, or it should at least. Because what it communicates to us is that our entire society is built around the idea that we have to be individuals and not community. That in order to survive, to reach the American dream, to do what we want, to to secure all that we have in life or all that we want to have in life, that we have to be individualistic. And so breaking away from that is going to take a lot of work. It's going to be really difficult for us to break the shackles on all of that. Our society is literally built around the idea of encouraging us to be self-sufficient. And that's not a great thing. Why share this? Why talk about a random article in the Atlantic? Because I think it's important for us to see the external forces that are at work. To see how our society has made itself, how it influences us in our walk with the Lord, how it shapes how we act in the broader world. Because I think only once we see those things are we able to actually make changes. Are we able to actually see what God has for us? See, we have to understand that while society pushes us toward individualism, this type of living actually malforms our souls and leads us to live at odds with God and those around us. Individualism may be great for earning a lot of money. Individualism may be great for making a name for yourself, but individualism is not great for our souls. See, ironically, we're, we're too self-sufficient for our own good. We're too self-sufficient for our own good. Our entrenched values of self-sufficiency are eroding our, our core humanity. We're people who are made in the image of God, made for relationship with God and others. doesn't matter if you're introverted or extroverted. doesn't matter if you're bubbly or stoic. We're all designed for community. We're all designed for connection. And self-sufficiency is not the answer. That's not the highest goal of our lives. It's ironic to think about this, but there's no such thing as a self-sufficient Christian. There's no such thing as a self-sufficient Christian. God designed us to be connected to himself and the family 
of God. And so this morning, we're going to talk about those two concepts, connecting with God and connecting with others. And first, we're going to talk about connecting with God. And I want to give you my thesis this morning. Connecting with God is not a once-and-done achievement. That's often how we'll, we'll see connecting with God. It's not a once-and-done achievement, nor is it an occasional visitation, or it's like once a week or once a month or something like that. Rather, we're designed to be continually connected with the creator and lover of our souls. That's what connection with God should be. It's this continual, ongoing relationship with God. A.W. Tozer once said this. He said, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. The Christian life isn't just about finding God and reading about him once and praying a prayer and then being like, okay, I've secured God, now I'm going to put him in my pocket and go on with the rest of my life. That's not what the Christian life is designed for. The Christian life is designed for finding God and then still pursuing him day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour. You know, many preachers use a wedding analogy to talk about this. And so I'm going to do that as well, and I'm going to ask Sam and Sarah to come forward. I need both of you. I need you. So this is your wedding day. One more time. So uh, Sam, Sam, you're over here. Sarah, you're over here. I know, it's been a, it's been a minute. So look all lovey-dovey, and Sam's hating me right now because I did not tell them this was happening ahead of time. So we're gathered together today in holy mattress money. I did say mattress money. By the power vested in me by the power of God and the great state of New York, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Now you may kiss the bride. You can kiss the bride. Are you too embarrassed to kiss your wife? You can hug your wife? Okay, now I pronounce you husband and wife. Uh, Sam, you can exit through that door. Sarah, you can exit that door. We'll see you again in a year. Get back in here. Get back in here. That's not how marriage works. You guys can sit down. Thank you for being a good sport. It's not how marriage works, right? We don't come together and have a ceremony, say, congratulations, your husband and wife, kiss the bride, we all cheer, and then we send them out on their merry way and say, we'll see you again in 12 months. It's not what relationship is about. It's not what connection is about. It's something that's ongoing. It's something continual. See, too often we covenant with God. We do like what just Sam and Sarah did or reenacted that they did a long time ago. We covenant with God. We're like, okay, I'm in. I'm ready to live for God. I accept his grace and his salvation and his mercy. And then too often we go back to our own ways. We go back to our old life, our old way of living, and we only return briefly when we need something. When life gets a little hard, when, when things aren't going the way that we want them to. And then as soon as we solve whatever problem, whatever need we're trying to have fulfilled, we go back again to our old way of life. And then maybe six months, a year, three months, whatever it is, passes, and then we come back again. This isn't connection, it's an affair. And those are strong words, and some of you are like, oh no. But this is how we treat God more often than not. Not this ongoing, continual, intimate connection, but more of a fling in the night. 
Something where we come, we're like, okay, God, here's my need. Fulfill my need. Now I'm going to go back to living however I want. And I'll see you again in four to six weeks when I get lonely again. I'm not saying any of this to condemn you. I'm saying this to hopefully, through the Holy Spirit working in your heart, for you to see that connection with God is about something more. It's more than we make it. Something different is needed, and Scripture has the prescription for us. Scripture informs how we are to live, how we are to connect with God. And so we're going to go to Romans 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 first. And if you're thinking, Pastor, I think you've preached on Romans 12 before. You're right, I did about a year ago when we launched small groups. And I realized that, and I was like, I thought about it long and hard this week, and I'm like, should I do it again? And I know I need it again, and so I think we probably all need it again as well. After all, we're supposed to like read Scripture often and allow it to, to form our hearts, so it's okay for us to go back to a passage again. So let's look at verses 1 through 3 in Romans 12. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome, and he says this towards the end of his letter. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So Paul is outlining some things for us here. And there are a few key phrases that I want us to to pick up on throughout these first three verses of Scripture. And I think how Paul starts this is really, really, really important for us to get. Because how Paul starts this, he says, in view of God's mercy. That's the, the starting point for the life that Paul is prescribing after this. In view of God's mercy, do the following. Now, this is important for us to get because it's putting things in their rightful order. Dallas Willard, who's an expert on spiritual formation, he once said, grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Oftentimes we think of this, this effort in our spiritual journey as something that we need to avoid because then we're earning something from God, but that's not what effort is about. Effort is a response to what God has already done. We don't do things in order to earn our salvation. We do things in response to our salvation. This is what Paul is talking about here when he says, in view of God's mercy, do this. Paul is centering all that he's about to say, all the instruction for holy living that he's about to give to this church on this idea of God's mercy, of what Jesus has already done for the church that he's talking to. See, the good news of the gospel of grace is the foundation for all spiritual growth. Having that ever before our minds that we are nothing without Jesus, that we're only saved by his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is incredibly important to us. 
It's not just the entrance into the spiritual life. It's how we're sustained in the spiritual life. It's what should ever be before us. Because it's the foundation that everything else is built upon. And without a solid foundation, everything else crumbles. And so if we expect doing good things to make us mighty before God, and we don't have this firm foundation that we are already adopted, that we're already justified, that we're already righteous because of Jesus, then that thing is going to crumble down when things get hard. When we fail to do the right thing, that thing is going to crumble down. But if we have the firm foundation that we are secure in Christ because of the gospel— then all the good works that we do are built on top of that in a response to what God has done. And therefore, when we fail, and we will fail, every single one of us, the whole thing doesn't come tumbling down because it was never reliant upon us in the first place. We're to always keep before us a right understanding of the gospel. It should be permanently implanted on our minds. This idea that we are saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done for us. Paul says, in view of this, in view of God's mercy, that's the first thing. And then the second key phrase that I want us to pick up on is he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And we have to remember who Paul is talking to. First, he's talking to an audience 2,000 years ago who understand what a sacrifice is. It's not just living hardly and you're like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice my $20 here and I'm going to give that and that's a sacrifice. That wouldn't be what was in the mind of Paul's original audience. For them, a sacrifice would have been something that would have required both fire and death. It would have been an animal sacrifice, a food sacrifice, something to be brought before a God to be wholly consumed by that God. That's what would have been in the mind of Paul's original audience. And so this idea of offering your bodies as a living sacrifice would have been a really strange idea to them. And for us sitting here, it's also a strange idea to us because we live in a culture where personal liberty is so highly valued. So offering my, my whole self as a, as a living sacrifice before God, living for someone else and not me, is a strange idea. But nonetheless, this is the call and cry of Scripture. What Paul is doing here is he's exhorting Christians to die to themselves and to live through Christ. To die to the flesh and come alive in the Spirit. See, a living sacrifice isn't a once-and-done thing. It's not a flash in the pan where, where the sacrifice is quickly burned up. It's an ongoing, continual offering of all that we are, all that we have, all that we will be to a holy God. It's offering our entire selves to God. And to see our lives as a response or to see our lives as a sacrifice offered in response to God's mercy is to orient ourselves toward continued sanctification. If we want to have the life that we dream of, the life where we're one with God, where we're walking in his authority and his blessings, and walking like Jesus is ultimately the life that we're looking for. If we want that life, we have to offer all that we have to God. 
as a living sacrifice. See, Christianity is not about living as you want and hoping that God blesses it. It's not like, well, you know, I, I came to Jesus and me and Jesus, we have an agreement and he lets me do my thing and he just blesses me as long as I come to church twice a year. Okay? That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is offering all of ourselves to Jesus. Everything that we have, all that we are. It's not about, God, I'm going to live this way. You're going to bless me, and that's going to be that. That's our agreement. Because what does Paul say right after living sacrifice? He says, holy and pleasing to God. We have to remember that our God remembers, can differentiate between sacrifices. From the earliest portions of our scripture, we can see that in the book of Genesis where where God differentiates between a sacrifice that is acceptable and isn't acceptable. And so when Paul is writing for us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, it's in a certain way that we're supposed to do that. Living or holy and pleasing to God. He goes on to say, we're not to conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, he says, you are to be different. You're to be different. It's not living like the world with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. It's not the life that God has for us. It's not the Christian life. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. By allowing something different to come into our minds. And what do you think is the only way that this can happen? Does it happen by osmosis? No. That'd be great if it did. I would just like put the Bible right on my head and just hope it transfers in. Doesn't happen by osmosis. Does it happen through baptism? No. Does it happen when we pray a prayer of salvation? Does it happen by going to church? What does it happen by? By being connected with God. Being connected by God is how the renewing of our minds happens. It's how we have the transformed life. To connect with God fully requires us to reorient our lives. It requires a shift. It requires a change of thinking. It requires putting Jesus in his preeminent place. We can't just try to fit God into our schedules. Like, okay, I have a little bit of time between 10.02 and 10.06 every third Tuesday. That'll be my four minutes with God. I know we laugh at that, but that's sometimes how we approach God, except we're not so systematic about it. We're just like, okay, I'm going through my life. Okay, I got four minutes right here. That's my time with the Lord. And then we go back through our life and then we're like, okay, right. Yeah, I'm supposed to connect with God again. I guess I got to fit that in right now in between this appointment and that appointment and this soccer game and this football game. And oh yeah, I need some time to rest and I need some time to recharge. And oh, I got to go for a swim later. And oh, I forgot about groceries. When we're only thinking about God as an add-in, we're going to miss connection. Instead, we have to rewrite the whole thing. We have to put God in his preeminent place, the place of honor, the place of glory. He needs to be first in our life. 
If we want to connect with him, truly connect with him, then we have to put him in a place of honor and reverence first. Because once he's in that place of honor and reverence, it becomes easier to connect with him. It becomes easier to learn about him. And so every single day, we need to prioritize spending time that is set apart for God in both prayer and Bible reading. We need to read about who God is in the Word. Pray to God just like we would talk to a friend. Bringing back the marriage analogy, Sam and Sarah aren't going to have a great marriage if they go their own way and then like, okay, you guys can connect every third day. You can have a conversation every third day. It's not going to work out really well. Every single day, we need to connect with God. And I know this is hard. And you're sitting here, you're sitting here today and you're like, but I got other things going on. I got to do this and that and I'm tired and, and there's stuff and I have priorities. And so doing that every single day, that just seems like something else I have to do. There's a question that I want to ask you if that's how you're thinking this morning. Who are you relying on each day? You're relying on yourself or are you relying on God? If you're relying on yourself, then you're right. You're too busy to fit God in because you're playing a role that you're not meant to play. You're too busy because you're trying to be God and you were not designed to be God. You need to be reliant upon God, which means that you can go to sleep and the world will keep turning. You can rest because the world will keep turning. You can take time because the world will keep turning. God is the one who is in control, not us. And so if we truly want to connect with God, that's the first step, realizing that he is God and that we are not. He is God, we are not. We don't have to worry, we don't have to stress, we don't have to look at all of these things that we were never meant to look at. God is God. And again, I'm not saying this to condemn you because I'm right there with you sometimes. Right there with you where I have to take a step back, I have to reassess, I have to look at how I'm living. What am I worried about? What are the things I'm putting in, in a place in my life? I have to take a step back too and reassess. Like, okay, I'm living this way instead of living that way. It's time for me to come back to the throne of grace. Come back and remember that he is God and that I am not. And this is uncomfortable. It's difficult. It's hard. Because you and I, we're creatures of the status quo. We find comfort in the status quo. But just because something is comfortable doesn't mean that it's good. Living for ourselves where we're in charge shouldn't bring us comfort, and it never does. Because we're always worried. We're always stressed. We're always trying to do things we weren't designed to do. And so I want to read something this morning uh, that's uh, the first question and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism. And this is uh, just a series of questions and answers that help us to, to learn about who God is, who we are, and how we're to live in the world. It's been used for centuries and centuries to help instruct Christians to live as disciples of Jesus. And this is uh, one of those uh, questions and answers that is really comforting to us. It's something that's really great to us, but it's also something for your kids as well. 
And you're like, okay, catechism does not sound like a word that my kid is going to understand. You're right. They're not. Uh, but there's a little book called Sophie and the Heidelberg Cat uh, that, that we read, and it's a great introduction to this concept by a guy named Andrew Wilson. And so let's read this for us, because we're adults here in the room, and we can understand hard words, right? Sometimes. I need a dictionary often. So here it goes. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am my own, and I belong to myself, and I secure all the riches, and I've done everything I needed to. Sorry, that was the wrong version. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. That's the first part of it. And it goes on to say, he also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. We have to realize that we're not our own. We're not God. We're not the one in the driver's seat. Because if we can understand that, then we can more fully connect with God. If we're trying to connect with God like he's an accessory to our lives, then we're never truly going to be able to connect with him. We have to see God not as an accessory, but as our all in all. And this flows from knowing what Christ has done for us. His death and resurrection. Once we understand that, it becomes a little easier, a little easier to offer ourselves fully to God. Why? Well, Romans 12.3 has that answer for us because we won't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then Paul goes on, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. When God is in control, when we're seeking him in the preeminent place, it puts us in our rightful place, which is a lowly place, a humble place. We'll realize that while God is all-powerful, we're powerless. Like, but I, I'm strong. I, no, listen to me. We need to understand this rightfully. We need to understand that God is all-powerful. And that we have no power within ourselves to live the life God has called us to live. It's why we need the gospel. It's why we need Jesus. It's why we need grace. You can't live the life that you desire on your own. You need Jesus. So for me, this plays itself out uh, in a reminder that I have on my person all the time. So on my arm here, I have this word and it's Greek to me literally, because it's the Greek word dunamis. And this is in Acts 1.8. It says you will receive power, that's the word dunamis in Greek, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so when I see this every single day, it's a constant reminder that on my own I am powerless and I can do nothing pleasing to God except through the power of the Spirit flowing in me. There's a reminder that we all need, and we're not going to do group tattoos after service, don't worry. 
But it's something we all need. We need that reminder that we are powerless and that we need an all-powerful God. We need to come to the realization, like the old hymn says, I need thee every hour. Every hour we need thee. God needs to be our all and all. And the good news is, if you're here and you're like, this sounds great. I want to connect with God. I want to rightfully order my life, but, but I keep getting in the way and, and I believe, but I have this unbelief and I have this willingness, but I have this unwillingness. And congratulations, you're a living human being. Because that's all of us. And we can pray before God, God, I'm willing, help my unwillingness. I believe, help my unbelief. I want to want you. Help me to surrender. And then what we can do, we can pray that prayer. We can say amen and believe that God has answered that prayer. And we can go and walk in connection with him. And then if we fail tomorrow, we can try again the next day. And if we fail the day after that, and we will, we can rest in his promises. He will answer us. And I know we've already, we've already been here for a little bit, but that's part one. We need to talk now about connecting with others. We've talked about connecting rightly with God. Now we need to talk about connecting rightly with others. And so let's read verses 4 through 8 in Romans 12. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What we need to to get here is that there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. It's never just you and Jesus. That's not God's design for you. Jesus himself has inexplicably linked this idea of connecting with God and connecting with others. When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he says, love the Lord your God with everything you have. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can't love God with all that we are if we're not also loving people. And loving people requires proximity. It's not something that can just be done from a distance where it's like, yeah, I love them as long as I see them for five minutes a week. That's not what it looks like for this. God has called us to be people who are intimately connected to one another. How do we know this is true? Well, we just have to look at the analogy that's used over and over again throughout the New Testament for the people of God. What does God use to describe his redeemed people? A body. This is what God uses over and over again. And this is what Paul is saying here in verses 4 through 8, that each of us have, has a body with different parts. So it is with the body of Christ. And I want you to point out your pinky for just a second. Everyone raise up their pinkies. 
How silly would it be for your pinky right now to say, I declare myself sovereign and I'm going to live apart from the body? It's not going to last very long. The same is true for us. Just as our pinkies can't declare that it's going to live on its own apart from the body, we also don't have that luxury. Jesus, again, hasn't given us the option to do as we wish, to walk in Him in such a way as to just live for us and Him without being connected to His body, is to put ourselves as Lord and not Him. This message is woven throughout all of Scripture to be intimately connected in community. In fact, the first time in Scripture that God says something is not good is when someone is alone. And maybe that will blow your mind a little bit. If you go back to Genesis, I encourage you to read it. We're not going to read all of it this morning. But God continually, he creates, he says it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then he gets to man, he creates man, and he says it's not good for man to live alone. The first time God declares something not good in Scripture is when man is alone. This is true for us. God created us for robust, interconnected relationships that flow out of our relationship with him. It's our relationship with him first that fuels everything else. And I just want to be honest for a moment. Relationships are hard. Relationships are messy. Relationships have the potential to be painful. And what we often do in an effort to avoid all of that is we choose isolation instead. But just because something is hard or has the potential to be painful doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. So for me, one of my hobbies is woodworking. And when I step into the shop anytime, it's going to be messy. It's going to be hard depending on what I'm trying to build. And there's always the potential for me to come out looking like this. Just kidding. I still got the finger there. But there's always the potential for it to be painful. And so I can avoid all of that and not do it. But then I won't get the result of what I'm actually trying to do with that. I won't get the the furniture piece or whatever it is I'm trying to build. But if I'm careful, if I do it more and more, then I'll learn. I'll learn how to do things safely. I'll learn how to protect myself. I'll learn that things can get easier the more and more that I do them. But guess what? Woodworking is always going to be messy. And so are relationships. The messiness is always going to be there. We can't miss out on the benefits by not doing it. It's worth it. Our God desires that we would be fully alive in him. And that can only happen if we open ourselves up to community. It can only happen then. We have to open ourselves up to community. Because guess what? We need one another. We need community. We need the church. The church, warts and all. And the church has some warts. Is God's plan to help you grow in your sanctification. It's what God has planned and willed for your life. Some of us are always over-spiritualizing this. We're like, I'm just waiting for God to reveal his plan for me. 
Oh God, can you show me what to do? And all the time throughout Scripture, God says, connect with me, connect with others. Love me, love others. God has shown you his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And as we connect with him more and more, we begin to understand it. So dive in. Don't give up. Put on vulnerability and watch God do a mighty work in and through you. One last thing before I I sum everything up. There was a recent study that, that was trying to figure out why so many people in America have stopped going to church. I've just got to bore you with one more statistic. They're trying to figure this out. It's a recent study, and they've employed social psychologists, and they have a, an excellent sample size, and you're like, I don't know what any of that means, but that's okay. They did a survey of people, and they're trying to figure out why people left the church, and this is what the study found, that roughly three-quarters of the people who left church, so three out of four, did so casually for pedestrian reasons, including moving, the inconvenience of attending kids' sports activities or family changes like marriage, divorce, or having a new child. Most of the time, because we're not fully connected, all the things of life get in the way, and eventually our relationship with God and our relationship with others just falls away. It's not what we intend for to happen, but it does happen. And so there's two parts of that that I'm going to end with. One is we need to evaluate how deep our connection with God and others is. We need to see if we're, we're truly connected in both of those things. And the second thing is this. You look around and you notice someone who's no longer connected to this particular local body. Don't assume the worst. Maybe life got busy. Maybe things happen. Maybe they had a new kid. Maybe something came up. And guess what you can do? Reach out. Reach out. Connect. Talk. Offer the olive branch and be like, hey, I haven't heard from you for a long time. What's been going on? And you know what they're going to say? Man, I've been so busy. Say, me too. Let's connect. Let's talk. Be a family together. All right, let's go through our key takeaways and then I'll be done this morning. First key takeaway this morning is that we need continual connection to God. Our connection with God is not a one-time event. It's a lifelong journey of transformation that's ultimately rooted and made perfect in God's grace. Our second key takeaway is that continual connection to one another is not optional. We can't define our relationship with Jesus in a way that he never intended. God uses the illustration of a body for a reason. We need one another. We're interconnected. And the third key takeaway is this. If we want to grow, we have to embrace vulnerability. Despite the challenges and the potential for messiness in relationships, it's essential to open up, to be authentic, and allow God to work through the imperfections of human existence for personal and communal growth. Those are our takeaways this morning. Will you stand with me as we pray together?
God, we come before you this morning in need of connection. God, we can't live life by ourselves. It never works out. Help us to connect with you, Lord. Help us to remember your sacrifice on the cross. Help us to remember that you've already taken the first step towards us. That our response is just that, a response to you. Help us to connect with you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind. Help us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And God, this morning, help us to remember that that you haven't called us just for this personal relationship, but also for an interpersonal relationship. One where we're connected with the body of Christ. That help us to dive in. Help us to not give up when things get hard. We love you. In Christ's name. Amen.